When I was researching a guest who could tell us how to write more interesting prose, one of the pieces of advice I came across was to mix long sentences, rich with commas and subclauses, with very short staccato ones. Break it up. Because, the author of this piece said, it prevents the audience's mind settling into a rhythm and drifting off. So, interrupt that rhythm. Keep them off balance. That's how you retain attention. Is it working? Well, who knows? Maybe one for season two. Personally, I much prefer the copywriter Nick Parker's thought that good writing is a dance between clarity and surprise. What a delicious idea. Much more stimulating. But, in the spirit of mixing up long and short, this episode is a much shorter one than usual. And it was, in fact, going to be part of the previous episode's interview with Russell, but I came to think of this slice of content as deserving a room of its own. Why? Because it's all about PowerPoint. And PowerPoint is particularly fascinating for us in this project because it is, for so many, the poster child of dull. Which of us hasn't at some point used the expression, death by PowerPoint? Look at Sarah Ellis and Helen Tupper a couple of episodes ago. They had such a strong, visceral aversion to PowerPoint, they decided when setting up their own business at this really high-risk moment in their business life, they would never use PowerPoint again and have instead been live drawing ever since. But Russell, as we'll come on to see, has a very different take on PowerPoint. He regards it as one of the three great American art forms, which is such an interesting thought in itself. Surely we have to give him the floor a little longer. What he's going to talk about is the topic of his second book, Everything I Know About Life I Learned From PowerPoint. And so I asked him to give us a 10-minute masterclass on how to make PowerPoint more interesting. Here it is. Let's move to your second book, Everything I Know About Life I Learned From PowerPoint. Um, and there's a quote on the front from um, the Guardian writer Stuart Heritage, giddy with the joy of communication, a love letter to language, which of course is not what you'd expect from PowerPoint, which is in a sense the point. Where did your love of PowerPoint come from? Um, it partly came from practical, again, my interest in technology is I sort of, I probably learned how to use a computer before most people in advertising did, for instance. And I was doing presentations with PowerPoint long before lots of other people. For a long time, my career was based on the fact that I knew how to put an image into PowerPoint when most people didn't, you know. So I, you know, I got like at least two or three years of work out of that. But I also think America has invented like three art forms, like jazz, hip hop, and PowerPoint. It's genuinely a new and I think vastly superior way of communicating with the world. That combination of a personal presence, words and images on up big, an illustrated talk, something of the lecture, something of the sermon. It's an art form and it's often done badly, but when done well, it's extraordinary. And if you have a sort of Venn diagram and you've got one circle is interestingness and one is PowerPoint, what's in the middle of those two things? Oh, the collision of ideas, I think. Every time I try and write a book, I realize how how books are not my medium. PowerPoint is my medium because the thing I love to do is point at ideas and go, look at that, that's interesting. And then point at another one and then point at another one and then point at another one and go, and look, they're connected in this interesting way. And doing that with books is really hard, partly because you have to pay for copyrighted material, but also because you have to explain a lot. Whereas with a presentation, you can just point at things. And that's a, a thing I like to do. 
I think it's a useful and interesting thing to do. I'm very taken with that idea of PowerPoint as a medium for expressing the collision of ideas. That's such a lovely thought. And you can use that strategically as well. So obviously, you, you know, you're working on the marketing side within a business at the moment. And so that's how you will do a kind of, I was going to say run of the mill, but I mean, not all of your PowerPoints are going to be these beautifully crafted thing that have been kind of growing with your fantastic beginning and your fantastic ending. But by and large, you will try and make it a stimulating collision of ideas whenever you show up with PowerPoint. Yes, yes. I think probably there should be fewer presentations, but they should be better. And a lot of the time in corporate life, people are doing a presentation because there's a screen in the room. And it could have been an email or a document or, or just a conversation. I'm not, I'm not at war with that idea. It's just, I don't think it's, it's what, like PowerPoint could be so much more powerful than that. Given that you've gathered all these people together and you're wasting their time or you've got their time, you may as well do something sort of useful and effective with it. And I, people just don't think about that enough. So yeah, I will always try and make it a bit more than run of the mill. Start us off then, start us off. What are the kind of three key things that you think are most important in expressing yourself in PowerPoint in a way that people are going to love rather than people are going to roll their eyes? Well, I tried to boil the book down to a slide and the slide says, make it big, keep it short, have a point. So those are the three rules of doing a good presentation. The first one, make it big, is probably the most important one. And I mean it astonishingly literally. The first and most important rule in making a presentation good is to make the words readable, which obviously has the effect of honouring your audience, many of whom won't be able to read your slides unless you do that, like an astonishing number. And the only time where I will actively be rude in a presentation is when someone stands up and says, obviously you won't be able to read this, which happens all the time. <laughs> and you're like, well, don't show it us then. <laughs> So I have a rough rule of the type must be at least 30 point and no more than seven words on every line, which has the effect of making the slide readable, but also has the effect of making you think about what you write on the slide, because you can't just copy and paste from the email or the spreadsheet. You know, you have to actively think about it. And it turns your slides into what a good presentation is, which is a series of posters. A series of um, posters, okay. You learn the art of old school poster design. That's what a good slide is. It's it's like a crisp expression of a single thought. And if you've got 10 of those in a row, you've got an absolutely brilliant piece of work. And it makes lots of other things easier because there's an expression of a thought standing behind you when you're talking and you can just talk about it. You don't have to explain what it is and blah, blah, blah. So although apparently simple sort of make it big thing is is very, I think, important and astonishingly difficult to do. I did a training thing a little while ago with a with a friend of mine who's absolutely lovely, very smart man, professed to be an enormous fan of the book. We did it as a joint sort of exercise. He did some slides, I did some others. All his slides had tiny, tiny, tiny fonts. And I was, what are you do? Have you not? You say you've read the book. Like there's one thing in the book, you know, and it's just a force of corporate habit and everything that kind of people just don't think about it. And then when you turn up and say, 
no, you've got to make that, I can't read that, make it bigger. It's very, very difficult for people to do, which is astonishing. So that's the first, I think, most dramatic intervention. The second is keep it short. People cannot pay attention for more than 20 minutes. And I, I think I've noticed you doing this. If asked to talk for more than 20 minutes, a good presenter will divide it up into two or three 20-minute talks, basically, with a pretty clear break in the middle where people can drift off for a couple of minutes. So after 20 minutes, I'll quite often show a video or something where people can check their phones, drift off, not you know, and then bring them back. And comedians do this. Musicians do this. Like, you cannot maintain sustained attention for that long. And the, a good presenter is actively managing the audience's attention. That's including that timing thing, but also making it clear to them when they have to pay attention and when they don't. Making it clear to them that they're in a safe pair of hands by telling them at the beginning how long it's going to take, what it's going to cover, all that kind of thing. There's nothing more terrifying than sitting in a room, someone starting a presentation, and you have no idea how long it's going to be. Yes, because you can't even see the, how big the acetate pile is anymore. No. Ex <laughs> yeah, exactly. So structure helps with that. So, so being clear with people what the structure is and what you're going to cover at the beginning gets the audience relaxed on your side. And they're like, okay, I'm in the right room. This person seems to know what they're talking about. I will listen. Rather than, oh my God, I don't know what it's going to be, blah, blah, blah. And the questions I get most from people when talking about presentation stuff is about structure. People get very anxious about that. And they read lots of books and people tell them about the hero's journey and all these kinds of structures. And the answer is always just divide it into three. Just do your presentation in three sections. It always works. 99.9% .9 of everything in the world can be divided satisfactorily into three. <laughs> um, you know, that's how jokes work. That's how the economist, the economist you'll, explains complex things in threes. When you start to notice, if you read The Economist, they always divide everything into three. Consultants are trained to answer questions in threes. Like threes is just a great structure. And I've never come across a presentation where that's not the best answer. And in terms of alleviating anxiety and getting going, if you just know at the beginning you're going to divide it into three, it's just how you're going to divide it into three, it's a lot easier than going, oh, what, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's the second section of the three. And then the third is have a point, which also I think is, again, how you alleviate a lot of anxiety for people because a lot of presentations are bad because people don't know why they're doing them. And they're nerve-wracking because you've been asked to do an update. And so you're updating people, but you don't know why. Or if you're very clear from the beginning that the point of you standing up is to get something to change, is to get people to do something different, and you identify what that is, writing the presentation and delivering the presentation become a lot uh, easier. Uh. So I'm not just doing an update. I want us to change how we report Q3 finances like i want to change from method a to method b if you know that when you stand up or you know that when you start writing your presentation is like well all my evidence is going to be marshaled towards that point that's what i'm going to say if the 30 seconds after i stand up the fire alarm goes off and everyone says oh what were you going to say say well i want us to change from doing method a to doing method b like everything becomes easier if you know your point 
And if your point is something that matters to you, however small, whether it's just about a change in reporting structures or whatever it is, it's going to be a better presentation. So being clear about a point and having one makes it makes it better. I'm really intrigued by that, actually, because when you say it, of course, it seems so obvious, but it is so profoundly true. When I was talking to uh, John York, the expert in storytelling, he, he makes the point that in a scene when you're watching a drama, you have to know what the character wants, right? You have to know what the character wants. If you don't know what the character wants, there is no point in watching it. The, the scene is utterly lifeless and, and dead. So I love your point about making what I want in this presentation, through this presentation, in this meeting, much more visible, much more transparent. That's such a stimulating idea. Yeah. There's a little TikTok clip or uh, Instagram clip or something of uh, Kamala Harris, who's a really good public speaker. And she's asked by a bunch of school kids, how are you not nervous? How are you good at public speaking? And she says, we imagine you're on the Titanic and you know that the iceberg is coming. You wouldn't be anxious about telling everyone the iceberg is coming because you have a point, like you've got an important message to deliver. That's how you stop being anxious is you have an important message to deliver. So you're not wondering about, I mean, or it, it helps to reduce that, like, how do I look? What am I saying? I'm nervous. It's like, because you're there for a reason. Russell, that was fantastic. Um, thank you. Lots to think about in there. Thank you very much for coming on. You're very welcome. That was fun. Thank you. There's a term that people in IT support have to describe a certain kind of problem resolution when they've come to check on something you say has gone wrong with your laptop. The term is PICNIC, and it's an acronym. It means problem in chair, not in computer. In other words, the issue is that the user doesn't really understand what to do properly, rather than anything wrong intrinsically with the thing itself. I think it probably describes most of the computer problems I've ever had. It is usually me, not the machine. I am the picnic kid. And it's the same with PowerPoint, of course, isn't it? PowerPoint itself isn't dull, but the way we are using it is, or perhaps a better way of saying it is that it's too easy to be dull on PowerPoint. And we need to find a way of making it much more interesting. And the time to make it much more interesting and at the heart of that new approach are self-imposed constraints. Although they are apparently taking very different kinds of solution to the PowerPoint problem, Russell does have this in common with Sarah and Helen, doesn't he? Getting to a better solution lies in imposing and living by quite stringent and dramatic constraints. For Sarah and Helen, the constraint was not to use PowerPoint at all and force themselves to find an entirely new way of communicating. For Russell, the constraints are about 30-point typefaces, seven words to a line, one idea and an image per slide. But surely the key issue with any dull PowerPoint presentation is that the presenter is observing no constraints at all, other than the notional length of the meeting. And not always that, I can hear you say, rolling your eyes at me. So, if we're going to use PowerPoint, make it big, keep it short, have a point. And two final thoughts. The first thing I really liked about what Russell was saying was, honour your audience. It reminded me of Ross Buchanan's point that I liked so much about taking his listeners more seriously. Dullness comes, surely, from not taking our listeners seriously enough, from not honouring them. If we did both of those things, we'd understand much better where they were and how they felt, and we would put much more thought and energy into really engaging well with them on their terms rather than ours. And I was also really struck by Russell's point about being open about what you want at the beginning of the presentation, what you want out of it. Norman at Sesame Street and John York, in terms of storytelling, had been talking about how the protagonist has to perceptibly want something, or the scene is just dull. 
It's just people talking. And it's such an interesting idea that here, at the beginning of this presentation, at this moment, whether we choose to think about ourselves in this light or not, we are the protagonist in our own story, in this little drama. And that unless everyone in this scene with us understands what we want out of it, it's going to be a much, much duller scene. So, make fewer presentations, but better ones. That seems excellent advice to me. Thank you for listening. This has been Let's Make This More Interesting from Eat Big Fish. I'd like to thank Ruth, my editor, and Ross, my producer, and we'll be back with a final episode of this season next week. Be still my beating heart. See you then.